Hi guys and welcome to the first episode of Do You Fucking Mind. I'm so excited. Um, I was, I don't have an intro song, unfortunately. I'm doing this from my own home. So I could sing a song, but I think that would be a waste of everyone's time. And based on the fact that I've permanently damaged my vocal cords, prob's not a good idea. So I'm just going to start straight away. No intro, maybe when I get a bit, you know people actually listen to this I will probably have more professional production behind this but at the moment it's a one-man show um anyway so today I did a little bit of a poll on my Instagram and most people turns out want to hear about taking a leap of faith which I think is kind of fitting for this podcast episode the first one because even just doing this podcast I feel is kind of taking a leap of faith the way I do it, which is pretty much leaping before you're ready. I'm going to delve into that in a little bit. But basically taking that leap, not waiting till things are perfect because of the way that the brain will put the brakes on every time you hesitate. It just gets harder and harder to do something. I will delve into that later, but this is all very relevant. But before I get into it, I just want to say shout out to Lucy and Nikki. You guys are the real MVPs. I don't think I'd be doing this podcast with people that are already asking for the podcast if it wasn't for them featuring me on their podcast. So love you girls. What legends. Fucking favorite people. Adore you. Um, second to that, I wanted to do a little intro about what I do um, for those of you that don't know uh, and where my passions are, the kind of person I am and what I kind of stand for before I get into the whole um, taking a leap of faith. So I... I'm currently studying my master's in neuroscience. I did my undergrad in cognitive neuroscience cognitive neuroscience at UQ and now I'm at University of Sydney. And I'm basically just obsessed with the brain. Like love that shit so much. I just don't – I get asked a lot like what are you going to do when you graduate from this degree? And I can't answer that question to be honest. Like I actually could not give you the answer. I don't know myself. I think ultimately – just travel the world doing TED Talks about the brain or have Netflix, you know, sponsor a documentary series on like cool shit about the brain and neuroplasticity. Apart from that, don't really know. Couldn't tell you. But I know that it's going to be something that's left of centre, like something that's not, you know, your norm. Anyway, so that's my life trajectory as far as neuroscience goes and where I see it going lol apart from that yeah fuck knows um now my main thing is I'm all about balance like I am all about balance so I'm not the person to turn to if you want like a really clean diet if you're prepping for an, a for a, like a comp and you want a clean diet I'm the worst person in the world to prescribe a diet for example I would be the worst person to prescribe like a set regimented timetable. I am, I kind of have all cylinders firing 80% of the time in all areas in my life. So I will work hard. I will play hard. I will rest hard and I will eat hard. You know what I mean? Like I just, I'm so big on like blending everything together and just making it work and I think that the mindset behind that is huge. I personally, yeah, take food, for example. I'll eat well like 70% of the time 
and then I'm a kind of eat deep fried pizza followed by a deep fried pocket of Nutella stuffed pizza kind of person. That's just me in a nutshell. And I'm allergic to Nutella. So that's really me in a nutshell. Like just take that risk. Will I swell up into a giant ball or not? Who knows? Um, just take antihistamines before you eat Nutella. That's like a, one good lesson I've learned. Um, probably shouldn't be advertising eating shit that you're allergic to on this podcast. That's not what I'm about. But that's just me. So don't do that at home, children. Um, yeah. And I'm also the kind of person that even if I have to work early the next morning, I am partial to going out for a few drinks. Like, And I don't want to be judged on it. You know, judgment is like opinions. What's that saying? Opinions are like assholes. Everyone has one. And I'm just going to tag something at the end of that. Opinions are like assholes. Everyone has one. And I don't need to see it, okay? So if you've got an opinion about me, don't show it to me. That's fucking disgusting. You wouldn't show someone your asshole casually, just on a whim. So I don't really want to hear your opinion about me. And I'm here to tell you that it is okay to tell someone that they need to stop telling you their opinion. Like you've got to be the gatekeeper to what enters your life, your brain, your subconscious, your conscious uh, and if someone's telling you something that's not conducive to you just having a good time or being happy. I'm not talking about constructive criticism from like your boss or someone that's or like someone that actually cares about you. I'm talking about unsolicited, unnecessary opinions. No, thank you. I will stop you in your tracks and send you in the opposite direction. Get fucked. So that goes both ways. I wouldn't give someone my unsolicited opinion on something that's personal to them. If they ask for my opinion, totally different story, but I don't see the value in going up to someone and just shitting on their current situation or their current opinion or if they're having a good time. Like, fuck that shit. So I'm just like, want to start a movement of stop fucking giving people your negative unsolicited opinions. That's fucked. No one likes it. They didn't ask for your opinion and you're probably just projecting your insecurities. So that's where I stand. Um, Yeah, like for example, here's an example. Here's a good one. I um, worked the other morning and I had had like three hours sleep and I get to the class and I'm like, hey guys, you're still going to get a killer workout, but I've literally just had three hours sleep. So lol, sorry about that. Um, We're just going to like push through together Um, because I'm slightly hungover and she one of my clients comes up to me and she's like what why did you only have three hours sleep were we and I was like well I was out wasn't I like I was out doing shots of tequila so hence limited sleep and she's like oh but you like you of all people should know that that's really unhealthy I'm like fuck off I obviously did not say fuck off to her I was like oh yeah, no, I'm all about balance. Like, I'm really not that phased by it. She's like, oh, okay, okay, okay. And I think she – I kind of shut it down semi-politely and then she just walked away. But um, the way I think about it is like, what is this you should know better? Or you – what is that a backhanded compliment? Is that like you're you're acting like a fucking idiot but you are capable of being smarter? So it's like what, what are you saying you should know better? Well, obviously I didn't, did I? Like, I just – Felt the need to be out the golden sheaf until two o'clock in the morning, despite the fact that I had to work at six. I'm just here living my life. 
Anyway, time to get into the actual topic of the podcast, which is taking a leap of faith. Now, for me, my version of taking a leap of faith has often been traveling to the other side of the world, but there's obviously many different ways of taking a leap of faith, like quitting a job or getting into full-time study where you've already got so much on your plate, leaving a relationship, moving states, all that shit. Um, So I'm going to talk about that, that I'm going to break it down into steps that you need to consider when taking a leap of faith. And then at the very end of the podcast, I want to have like a neuroscience specific section that's kind of still relevant to what we talk about, but talk about it from a scientific, like biological standpoint of why the brain behaves the way it does, or just like a fun, interesting neuroscience fact, because I just feel like I want to bring neuroscience to the masses and get everyone passionate about the brain as much as I am, because we all have one. Okay, let's get into it. The reason why I feel that I'm pretty well equipped to talk about taking a leap of faith is because on several occasions, I myself have moved to another state or to another country on three occasions now, France and then France again and then Los Angeles. And all of those times, while as you'll see my the, my thought process of taking a leap of faith, I did have some planning towards it. There wasn't It wasn't fully prepared. The main theme of my life when I take a leap of faith is that I don't wait for perfection, nor do I wait till I'm completely ready per se. So as I'm sure many of you have listened to Lucy and Nikki's happy hour podcast on my whole breakup life saga, um, the first big leap of faith that I did was kind of moved to Sydney on a whim. I had thought about it for a few months prior, but then when I actually decided to do it, I had about a, a week of preparation. And then after about a year of just being absolutely heartbroken, not being able to get over it, just feeling pretty hopeless with my life situation, I then booked a one-way ticket to Paris just to kind of get the fuck out of there. And I still, even though it felt like it was kind of spur of the moment thing, looking back, there was a strategy behind it, despite how wild my actions appeared. There was some chaotic strategy that I had, which I'm going to explain now. When it comes to taking a leap of faith, there's obviously many different ways that you can do that. And I had a bunch of you send me a message telling me what you wanted to talk about. So thank you so much for that. I had people talk about I had someone say they wanted to go to full-time uni when they have three kids. You're amazing. That is amazing. Let's talk about that in a bit. Then leaving your full-time job to do your side passion. So, for example, I had people who were like musicians and fitness trainers who might be doing it on the side, but then when do they take that leap to become – to have their passion full-time and leave their other job? Um, Leaving a toxic relationship, that's a big one that I'm very passionate about talking about that and also – moving states when you don't have a job lined up and then traveling of course like how I did it so let's everything I talk about will be relevant to all these things I have broken this down into eight steps or eight sort of things that you need to tick off and make sure that you've kind of considered or got down pat Um, you can write it down maybe memorize it but I think they're going to be super helpful to break it down before you embark on this journey so you've kind of got your head around it number one is you need to get comfortable with being alone and enjoying your own company. No matter what the situation, you have to learn to be happy alone. 
And it's not saying you could still be in your relationship. You could have a family. You could have all those things. But you're about to embark on a very personal big decision. And you've got to be cool with your own company because when the chips are down, you are the one who's going to have your own back. And you need to have your own back in this situation because the moment you turn on yourself, that's when it's game over. Not when other people put you down. Not when something fails when you thought that it was going to succeed. If you have your own back, you're able to then go again for, for your second attempt. You're able to reassess, rebuild, and maybe do it another way. But if you aren't comfortable just being you and alone with yourself, then that's something that number one, before anything happens, you need to work on. Number two, you have to be okay with losing, especially money. You've got to be okay with losing money or other opportunities that had you not embarked on this thing, you would have gained. Um, Money, I find, is the main one. A lot of people... And rightly so, I understand a lot of your security does come from money. But if you're not prepared to lose money, this is going to be a very hard journey for you to do because a lot of the things that people do, moving states, you might eventually make more money, but initially there's probably going to be a time where there is no income. Number three is know your priorities. For me, it's three things. Number one, your closest relationships, your family, your friends, the people that really, really make your life, you know, better. Uh, number two is your health. To always be doing things to work on your mental health, your physical health, you know, nutrition, all of that. That's important because that's what's going to help you live a better and longer life. And number three is your intelligence and your resourcefulness. You should always be upskilling yourself and learning new things and becoming more resourceful and being a more resourceful and useful person. How can you benefit other people? How can you continue to upskill yourself in your life. You don't just want to sort of plateau. If you have your mind, your intelligence, if you have your relationships and you have your health, you're never going to be poor. Money is going to come and go. It's going to ebb and flow in your life. There's going to be times of great wealth and times of great poverty. But if you have those other three things that I just mentioned in place, you're going to be fine. And while I do care about, you know, having a financial base, obviously, so I'm not, you know, desperate and poor my whole life that money I think comes as an you know a bonus of focusing on those three things in your life because you are resourceful because you are using your mind and all of that also with physical appearance that's not something that you want to put too much emphasis on and it doesn't mean that you can't like I put effort into how I look and of course I like it if someone gives me a compliment obviously I enjoy having my own style however I don't derive my sense of self or any importance from physical appearance because that will change as I get older and everyone's got a different opinion of how I look but my impact on other people and the relationships I have, all these things are going to be infinitely more valuable as I go through my life than physical appearance ever could be. Number four is to learn how to become unattached to physical objects. So... So many of us put so much importance on like physical things and this could be like, you know, when you're going through your wardrobe and you don't want to get rid of something because of sentimental value or if you've just broken up with someone and you don't want to get rid of certain things because, well, you know, the emotional attachment to it or the fact that you might get back together and you would have hated to throw away all those, you know, nice things that they gave you or wrote to you or whatever. Get rid of that shit. 
get rid of it. It is just impeding on your growth. It is in the past. It's done. If it doesn't bring you immediate joy when you look at it or hold it, you've got to get rid of it. I personally like to think that apart from a few big things like my sewing machine and my overlocker, which is a random hobby of mine, I like to think that most of my possessions can fit into just a couple of suitcases because I streamline my life constantly, constantly, because every time I give away or get rid of a physical possession, I'm getting, I'm clearing up space in my mind for myself to be able to achieve bigger and better things. I'm moving forward. So that's something that I definitely have changed a lot for myself. I used to be quite attached to physical things, things from my childhood or from like an ex, you know, that I... I don't know, like a T-shirt of theirs or something they had given me, I really struggled to throw anything out. I just felt so bad or guilty or sad about it. Now, I do have some sentimental possessions and they're mainly from like gra- like family grandparents and they're very small, like one or two items of jewellery, like really small, really important sentimental pieces that mean a lot to me and the rest I just get rid of. So just streamline it down. I'm not saying be a ruthless bitch and things that you love get rid of. Not at all. Like if you fucking love it and it brings you happiness, keep it. But just go through a bit of an inventory and get rid of the shit that you don't need. And if you're planning on going travelling or moving to another country, that's the added bonus. It's going to clear space in your head, but it's also going to be very good for you to just strip it down to the basics so you can fucking leave the country and live your best life. Number five is be strategic, like have some sort of a strategy to it. So it doesn't mean that you have to be super prepared and super planned, but it means, you know, what is the absolute amount of money that you're willing to lose on this venture and just commit to it and do it? Or what is you know, how much time are you going to give a degree before you decide that you absolutely hate it and are going to drop out of it or quit? You know, you set yourself these deadlines and you commit to them and you don't keep umming and ahhing about it. So the strategy, put it in place before you go. So for me, when I was moving to Sydney, I kind of thought, right, well, I have got enough money to live a month with no job. So I need to get a job by this date. That was it. There was no other option. So I had given myself, I had prepared for four weeks worth of money to live with. And then I knew that by that point I had to be making an income. And if I couldn't make it from the fitness industry, then that was the threshold. I would just look for a job anywhere I could. And that was the deal I'd made with myself. Cool. So number six is have a chase change mentality. So where you're always chasing improvements or something new or different or better Um, and know that nothing is permanent so it sounds really negative and hectic when you first hear oh nothing's permanent but that's now become for me one of the best things because if things are bad to just remind yourself that nothing is permanent you can kind of just push through and get through it you'll either either the circumstances will change or you'll get stronger or you'll just get over it altogether and when things are good it's good to know that nothing's permanent because it grounds you back into the moment it makes you a bit more appreciative for what you do have it makes you milk that moment so much more because you're thinking this isn't going to last forever so let's just make the most of it and see where it can go and it doesn't mean that just because it's good the good thing's going to end and then it'll be bad it might be the good thing ends and something else good or something better comes along so it's it's not all negative it's just a fact 
that nothing is permanent. So even if you're in a situation where you're deciding, should I make that move? Should I? Your current life situation isn't going to be like this forever. So don't be too attached to it. You are either going to change it or circumstances and situations out of your control are going to change it. But the situation you are in right now, life as you know it, is just not going to be like this forever. So you choose. Are you going to be the one with the power who makes the change or are you just going to sort of sit and watch it all change? Number seven and super important is that you have to start before you're ready because it's never going to be perfect. You're never going to be 100% ready because you haven't done it yet. So you don't really know what it really takes. So the best thing you can do is just throw yourself in there 100%. Commit to the decision and just do it. Don't look back. Don't think, oh, did I make the right decision? Oh, maybe I should have done that. This inability to make a decision can be paralyzing and it stops you from doing and experiencing so much in your life. Sometimes you're better off just biting the bullet and doing it and 100% committing. Don't look back and think, oh shit, that's what my life would have looked like if I didn't do that decision. Well, you know what? That's not your life anymore. You've now made the decision. Now, what are you going to do to make the best out of that decision? That's the best way to do it. So you have to start before you're ready. You buy that ticket. You put in your your notice to quit your job in two, three months time, whatever it is that you need to do, just commit now. And when you do that, you'll be amazed at how quickly you get your shit together because you have a deadline. Now, number eight, lastly, is become a yes person. So this is yes in the lead up to you taking a leap of faith, but I think mainly once you've taken the leap of faith, I think that's where the real work begins. You have to change your attitude or if you're already a yes person, just really play on that massively because that's what's actually going to get you far as far as the people you need to meet, the jobs that you need to be taking and accepting, all these sort of things. You're going to say yes to things that you would normally reject or normally be like, I could do without that in my life because, you know, you might not need it or you might not see the point of it, but you know, when you're in these situations, you have to be so open to new and different things because it isn't your norm. It is something different and you need to get used to that if you want to sort of take some big leaps in that direction. So an example I'm going to use is when I first arrived in Paris. Now, I didn't have anyone that I knew there, but one thing that I had said to myself before I went was like, ideally, I don't want to hang out with Australians there. I'm not going to avoid Australians, but I didn't go to France to hang out with Australians. You know, this is part of my experience is to try my best to meet French people. So my friend, she had given me the contact of one guy in France. So I get there a few days later, I send him a message being like, Hey, um, look, I got your number of Karina. I don't actually know you, but anyway, super friendly guy. He's like, yes, of course, come out with us. So went out with him and his friends. I think the second time I went out with them, maybe a few days later, we were at some club and I just lost them. I don't know where they went. Couldn't contact them for whatever reason. I'm not quite sure why. And I could have just gone home. I mean, if I'm in Australia and I'm out and for whatever reason I can't find my friends nor can I contact them, I'm probably just going to go home. I probably just call call it a night. But there I was like, well, fuck it. You're literally on the other side of the world. Just stay and have a good time. So I get on a couch, as you do when you're in a club in France, and I just started dancing on this couch and bump into a girl behind me. And this girl is a legend. Like, she's very cool. She's like, 
oh, just such awesome vibes. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. And she's like, no, no, I'm sorry. Anyway, she was Parisian, coolest person, professional tennis player. Her English was pretty good, actually very, very good. And my French, I'm there like practicing as hard as I can. And she, we start talking and she's like, well, where are your friends? And I was like, look, I have no idea. So she brought me over to the group of people that she was sitting with. We were hanging out all night there. And you know when you're out and you meet meet girls in the bathroom and you just become besties with someone in the bathroom. It was kind of like that scenario. Um, and so we're exchanging numbers. She's like, you have to come to brunch tomorrow. All my girlfriends and I, we do brunch every Sunday. So I was like, yes, yes, of course, totally. Anyway, leave, get home at some hour, fuck knows when, let's say 5 a.m. to be conservative, crash and burn. And then I wake up at like 11 and I'm thinking like, she did say brunch was at 2 p.m. Because side note, if you've ever had brunch in Paris, it's a 2 p.m. thing. Not in the morning, believe it or not. I think they think brunch is after lunch when in reality it is not. But anyway, that worked for me that day. And I was like, should I message this girl and see if brunch is still on? Like, Or is she going to be like, who's this crazy bitch from the club who actually thought I was being for real? You know. But I thought, you know what, these are my options. I message her, these are the outcomes. She either replies saying yes, she replies saying, no, you psycho, get the fuck away from me, delete my number, or she just doesn't reply. All three outcomes I was prepared to live with, so I was like, just message her. Then, of course, straight away she's like, yes, of course, we're expecting you, here's the address. Long story short, I rock up. It's like this epic restaurant just off the Champs-Élysées, and there she is with a whole bunch of French girlfriends of hers, and they all just welcomed, they just took me under their wing and welcomed me all like they were all putting in the effort to speak English. Then we'd have like English hour, French hour, and they were legends. And from that day on, I would would always be invited to everything that they do. I'd literally just slot it into a group of French girlfriends. Then when I returned to France the second time, it overlapped on my birthday. And one of the other girls had organized this whole thing at this club where they brought me out a cake and like free dinner and everything. Like I literally couldn't believe my luck that I could arrive in another country and be so lucky to be invited into this amazing group of girls when I could have just not gone out that night or I could have just bumped into this girl on the couch and be like, sorry, and then looked away or not messaged her to go to brunch. You know, all these little yeses that you take every single time amount to potentially amazing relationships or experiences that you could not buy, borrow or steal, you know. So that is... In a nutshell, why and what's encouraged me to be more of a yes person. Experiences like that for me now strengthen that trait in me to become a yes person. And you'll notice that the more you do that, the more you'll want to do it and you'll be so open to doing it. And you're not going to be shy or scared or embarrassed. You'll just go all out. So that is the eight steps that I think are important for taking a leap of faith. So I'm going to quickly break them down again. One, learn to be alone and enjoy it. Two, be prepared to lose, especially in the way of money. Three, get clear what's truly important in your life. Four, become unattached to physical objects. Five, be strategic about it, knowing what you have to lose. Um, six, be okay with nothing being permanent, having that chase change mentality. Seven, start before you're ready. And eight, become a yes person. I kind of now just want to quickly touch on a few things that people messaged me about uh one of them let's take leaving your full-time job for something that you're doing part-time like 
uh, being a Pilates instructor. When it comes to doing that, you kind of, with, with a situation like that, if you're already teaching on the side, that's obviously good because you're generating a bit of income already from that. But it is kind of difficult because you can't really, if you've got a full-time job, you can't be teaching fitness during those hours. So you kind of, if, what I would do, if I really didn't like my full-time job and I wanted to go full-time into Pilates, you have to just take the plunge. You have to do it. So what you do is you kind of set a time limit, let's say a month, give you notice, you're going to quit that job. Then you go and apply absolutely everywhere for covers first, for absolutely anything. You meet up with everyone. You you message other trainers. You pick your top few trainers who are going to be sort of your mentors, the people that you really like their style, the people that you're going to that are going to shape the kind of trainer that you're going to be. And you just work absolutely everywhere. Everywhere you love, everywhere you hate, everywhere that you don't care about because just take it all. And then you are going to get a lot of work, especially in the way of covers. That's just the way the industry works. Once you then quit your job, there's going to be like a period where obviously your income isn't going to, you're not going to jump from one income to the same income in the other industry straight away, but you will already be making a bit of money, especially if you're already teaching on weekends or evenings. You start picking up work left, right and center, and then you start culling the shit that you don't want. So always just take it all. Like I said, have that yes mentality, take it all, and then start to cull the, the classes that you don't like or the studios that you don't really like blend well with. And um, that's how I would do it. That's how I did it. But you have to take the plunge. You've got to quit that job. I can guarantee you, you're not going to work nowhere near as hard to get a job and haul ass and network and put your face in front of people if you've got that cushion of your full-time job. There is no better motivator than having no other option. So quit your damn job and do it. Because if not now, when? Now, I had someone actually message me saying that they, they were studying a degree and they really weren't liking it and they kind of it's what they always thought they wanted to do and then they kind of regretted it and then they weren't sure what that so they're kind of feeling a bit lost but they're not liking what they're studying even though they thought that that's what they were going to study always in that scenario I would personally defer and probably for a semester at first and then just see how you go because and I wouldn't study something else in the meantime I would just take a complete time off maybe work a part-time job maybe travel just give yourself that time just to be you and explore different things do what it takes for you to start expanding your horizons as far as what other things could you like so for example I used to do acting and it ended up giving me more anxiety than it was giving me happiness I was really just every time I'd think about it or every time I'd have an audition I just did not feel good. So I thought I'm going to take a year off and return with kind of a fresh mind, a fresh attitude towards it. And that was the year that I was going to go to France. So I decided to just give it up. I didn't look for a new agent. And three months in, I can tell you that I knew then never again would I return to acting. I just knew it was just done. And I was so happy with that decision that I didn't even need that year deadline. I was like, I'm fucking out. And I'm so happy with this liberating feeling. And it didn't matter that I had spent all these years working towards it and doing all these courses because that's life experience. It is what it is. And you gain from it whether you realize it or not. So take the six months 
it's not a waste of time. I think you'd feel if you have that deep feeling that it's not right for you and you were to complete that degree, do another three years of it and then graduate and say, wow, I really don't want to do this. You would, you would then feel like it was a waste of time because you knew deep down years earlier that you weren't sure about it. So I would defer now and give myself that six months of just regrouping and see if I miss it or if you don't miss it at all, it's not your thing. You've got a whole life to do this career and six months off, you should want to miss it. I just had three months off from my master's and I was desperate to return to class, desperate because I love it so much. So you should want it to be like that. And if it's not, then maybe it's not your thing. And maybe not even a uni degree is your thing. Maybe it's something else, but take the time off because if you're completely unsure and if it's giving you anxiety, it might not be the right thing for you. Okay, so that pretty much covers the steps that I wanted to cover as far as taking that leap of faith. And I did want to touch on a few um, messages that people had sent me. And I lastly want to get on to talking about kind of more of a neuroscience standpoint when it comes to decision making. So there was this study that was done and I find it really interesting where they gave people, I might get the numbers wrong, but it was, let's say, six choices and one week to make that decision. I don't know what the topic was. I can't remember. But they gave them a whole week to make a decision. And then they gave another group of people two choices and they had to decide now. So less choices and less time. Then a month later, they went back to all the people that had made the decision because by that point, everyone had made the decision. And everyone that had made that decision in the moment, they kind of looked at the two decisions, analyzed it in the moment and said, "Mm, I'm just going to go with that. They were, all of them were happy with their decision. And most of the people that had a week to decide were unhappy. And this comes down to when you have too much time to think about something, you start involving your emotions too heavily into the decision-making process. So there's a part of the brain called the amygdala that's quite a primitive part of the brain and it's where fear processing is involved. So it's actually very helpful for real actual fear like, you know, if there's a car coming towards you to jump out of the way or that kind of stuff, but then it also is involved in emotional fear. The longer you take to make a decision, the more your amygdala is involved in the decision-making and the less your prefrontal cortex, which is all the sort of critical forward-thinking part of the brain, is involved. The faster you make that decision, the less you involve your emotions, the less you involve the amygdala, and you are able to make that decision And then you just stick with it. If you um and ah and um and ah for about a week, when you finally make that decision, you have given yourself so many chances to think of all the negative things that could come if you did that thing that you wanted to do. You have now just talked yourself almost out of that decision. When in reality, every single decision that you make in life is going to have a good and a bad side. But you've just had a week to think about all the bad sides of all the possible decisions. So now you've paralyzed yourself because you're only focusing on the fact that now every decision has a downside. Whereas if you were to look at it very quickly and say, okay, these are my choices. Which one inspires me? Which one is the one that I'm going to get the most out of? What's going to push me further through life? What's going to give me experiences? Where am I going to learn? Boom, option number two, done. You do it. Whether it's going to work for you or not, you're going to figure that out once you're doing it. And most people, when they do make that decision more, I wouldn't say impulsively, but with less time to stew over it, 
they commit and they throw themselves wholeheartedly into it. And because there wasn't so much emotion involved in the decision-making process, that amygdala wasn't firing like crazy, you're more likely to just be happy with the decision that you made because you've committed. And now you're just on that trajectory and you don't look back. In addition to all of that, if you are always overanalyzing things, you become a procrastinator when it comes to decision making and it becomes harder and harder and harder for you to make these decisions because you're always involving emotion and every time you involve that fear processing or the emotion, you procrastinate, you you put the brakes on, your body's trying to protect you but now you're looking at a, a decision as a threat and that's how your brain is reacting to it. So if you're that kind of person, it's no wonder that you find it difficult to make these decisions because that's just how your brain has been wired the good news is, is that your brain can be rewired, which I fucking love. So basically, there's this thing that they say in neuroscience, and it's cells that wi- that fire together, wire together. So the more often you start repeating a new kind of behavior, the easier it's going to be for your brain to then automatically start behaving that way. So I don't expect you to start making these huge decisions now in the spur of the moment because that's probably going to give you a lot of anxiety if you're a kind of person that normally involves so much emotion in their decision-making process. If you find it very difficult to make a decision and if you're always going back and forth, back and forth because you're always thinking about you've got FOMO, you're thinking, oh, I've missed out on that, I've missed out on that and then you think of all the negatives of each situation, what I would encourage you to do is set yourself a time limit for smaller things. And just commit to it. Even if you're not stoked at the time, just commit to it. And that's going to start working that new pathway in your mind where you use the prefrontal cortex as your decision, as your main decision-making powerhouse instead of your amygdala, your sort of fear-based emotion decision-making pathways. For example, an outfit. You are from now on going to give yourself three minutes to decide on an outfit. That's pretty hard for girls, so maybe that's a really terrible example. But... Or with shoes, make it just about shoes. I, I'm, I've got two options and I have to decide, boom, in one minute, what am I going to have for dinner? Next time you go to a restaurant and you look at the menu, you cannot take more than X amount of time to make that decision and just commit to it. You know, you, you how, how, what areas in your life can you set yourself this challenge where your decision has to be made faster? For me, if I go to a restaurant and I look at the menu, if there's a million pages, I fucking hate that as it is anyway. I like a few options. But let's say there's, you know, a million pages. I just look at maybe the first three, two, if that. And if there's just five options, I glance at it once, boom, I've, I've made my decision. You know, there probably are things on that menu that I'm missing out on that are better. But how am I going to know if I haven't stewed over it? Blissfully unaware, I've committed to a decision and I'm stoked. If you spend like the, it's the menu of food is like the menu of life. If you spend forever analyzing every single meal, then you're like, oh, fuck shit. I'm having this pizza, but that one looks so good. I'm going to miss out. Okay, I'll just choose that one. Then you've ordered it and you are not even enjoying the one that you ordered because you're just thinking, look what I've missed out on. That's what happens when you overanalyze things, whether it's food on a menu or whether it's situations in life. Fucking commit to the decision and it is done you'll feel so liberated and you won't know yourself and you'll start making decisions easier and easier and easier. So that is, in a nutshell, kind of the neuroscience of decision-making and how to improve your ability to make decisions. So not all is lost. If you're one of those people that freak out all the time with decisions, 
you've just wired your brain that way, but it can be rewired and changed. Not a big deal. Start with small things, get more and more comfortable with it, more confident with it. And then you'll start tackling big, bigger decisions with so much more confidence. You'll be very surprised. So before I wrap up this episode number one, so excited about this, by the way, I just want you to think about or ask yourself just this one question. Are these decisions that you're making heavily influenced by what other people think? Because there are people that are going to care about you but are more concerned about your situation and go more the safety route like your brain might do to you. And then there are people that might judge you or whatever, but really in a situation like taking a leap of faith, it's very difficult to shut out all the voices and just listen to your own. And you've got to make that kind of conscious decision to do that. For example, for me, one thing that was quite told to me quite often when I had booked this flight to France is, are you sure you're not running away? People are going to say that to you to kind of make you feel that the stronger thing to do is to stay in your current life situation and... There are well-meaning people that say that, but my response to that is get fucked, shut the fuck up because I can tell you right now as a fact, A, from experience, but B, from actually knowing this from like a psychological standpoint, if you are leaving a bad situation and you've made that decision that you want to get out of there, let's look at a breakup, for example. Let's look at my situation, for example, heartbroken. Everything for me was a trigger. To get over someone when you've got triggers left, right and centre, that's not very healthy. I mean, it's doable, but it takes longer because everything you're doing is triggered. If you remove yourself from that situation, quote unquote, running away, as these people like to call it, you are doing yourself a huge service. You are saying, I'm going to completely pull myself out of that area, out of that downward spiral. And it's like a jump start of a car. You have jump started your life in a whole new trajectory, in a whole new way. If these weak dogs want to look at it as running away because that's how they would see it, that's on them, not on you. So if you want to go and make this big decision, don't look at it as running away. Don't feel like you have to burden yourself with someone else's insecurities about making a big decision just because they can't do it. Don't let them lay that on you. It's not running away. It's you jump-starting your life into a new place, into somewhere bigger and better. So you need to be the gatekeeper, like I said earlier. You need to be the gatekeeper of your thoughts, of your mind and of your life. And if people are going to try and put that idea in your head and you feel, oh, fuck, I'm the one running away now, don't. Nip it in the bud and realize that that's not what you're doing because that you're just you're setting yourself up already to fail if you're going to agree with these people, even if they mean well. You can either say, look, I don't agree with you. I'm not going to have this discussion. Or you can politely explain to them why you feel that it's not running away. But you have to be the one to make the call of what information is let in. And fuck that shit. I'm not, I'm, no. Negativity on this, you can't really listen too much to what people have to say. Because, I don't know, I just look at it that if you were to live your life based on how other, other people's opinions... You would be the blandest person in the world because everyone's got contrasting opinions. So you'd have to be so fucking bland to not offend or insult anyone or to upset anyone or to like ruffle some feathers. So you can't you can't live your life based on other people's opinions because you will never adhere to everyone's opinions in the right way. So fuck it. Why bother? And on that note, that pretty much wraps up episode number one of do you fucking mind guys thank you so much 
for listening through to the end. I am so happy to bring this to you. It's definitely not the most professional production, but I will get there. And thank you for the people that have kind of followed this and really looked forward to me releasing it. That honestly means so, 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 so much to me. I'm extremely flattered. And please, if you like it, I would love for you to subscribe Share this with your friends if you found it useful or if you think that there's someone that could benefit from this, please send it to them. And, of course, um, review. Review the podcast if you liked it or hated it. Thank you so much, guys, and I'll see you next or talk to you next week. Au revoir. Danke.